This is Gary Hartley by the chalkboard. My guest today is Philip Nell. Philip, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Gary. It's, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> it has. Philip and I went to school together and grew up together in Ketchikan, Alaska and had some wonderful times playing together as kids. You lived a mile down the road when yeah. we were children. And I remember spending time at your house mm -hmm. and we went to school together. I was thinking today, one of the most interesting things about uh, Ketchikan that we experienced when we were seniors, we were in track together. Mm -hmm. And because it rained so often up there, we often had track practice after school in the hallway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we'd be running in the hallway, running miles in the hallway, people doing sprints in the hallway, 100-yard dashes. Hurdles. Hurdles in the hallway. Hurdles in the hallway. Yes. Yeah. If people would walk out of a door and not be watching, and, you know, they're thump, 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 thump. <laughs> yes, yes. Dodge always, left, dodge right. Yeah. There were always yeah. teachers or students left in the room somehow, and, and you had to really watch when you were running, especially the sprinters, because they were really moving down the hallway, and there were several close calls and probably yeah. a few collisions here and there. Yeah, I remember uh, freshman year. It was uh, pretty sure it was freshman year. We were having a, a uh, inside the team, what, intra team meet to see who got to go to the meet in Alaska and who got to go to Hazleton, Canada. So the like the varsity JV sort of a split, and it was raining and blowing, and then it started to hail a little bit, and and you know my skin was turning like orange and blue. <laughs> it was it was a good day to be out running. <laughs> Yeah, running in the rain. I remember yeah. once, I think I was a senior, I decided I was going to play soccer, and so I signed up for soccer, and uh -huh. it was really cold one day, and so I decided to wear sweatpants, and then it, <laughs> and it started raining, and my sweatpants got soaking wet, and they were just almost falling off. I couldn't keep them on. I was holding mm. on to them with one hand trying to play soccer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where do you live now? I am in uh, the Garden State, New Jersey. I'm about uh, 30 or 40 minutes south of uh, Newark. So, so uh, never thought I'd end up out here. But, yeah, uh, I, I never thought I'd end up in Texas, but I stayed. How, uh, how did you end up staying in New Jersey? Uh, work. I, uh, so I, after, uh, after high school, I bounced around with the school all over and uh, finally in my, when I was 28, I uh, finally, 27, 28, I finally decided I was going to be a pilot when I grew up or if. And uh, so I went down to Arizona, went to flight school and, you know, bounced around the West Coast with flying. And then years in, I got a job with uh, JetBlue out here in New York. And so my plan was to actually, I was living in just south of Salt Lake at that time. And uh, I talked to guys who were had ridden on my little plane that I was flying, you know, in and out of Montana and over to Colorado and stuff, uh, you know, little jets. And uh, they worked for JetBlue and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm home more days and I'm making more money. And I'm like, oh, there you go. I'll do that. And then I got on with JetBlue and oil went through the roof back in 2007, 2008. And so ended up sitting on call 20 days a month in a, uh, it's called a crash band. It's basically a shared apartment where you've got like, four bunk beds in every bedroom and so I ended up spending like 20 days a month sitting across from the JFK airport 
with uh, a wife and three kids in Utah. And so that didn't last very long. And then we moved out here. <laughs> yeah. Life takes you where you're supposed to be. And it's always, a, yeah. you know, frequently it's a surprise. Like here yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Life is what happens while you're making other plans. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much. So I, 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 I got stuck here. I tried at least three times to leave and I couldn't, it was like a wall would come down. And I finally just accepted the fact I'm supposed to be here 3000 miles away from my parents and you <laughs> yeah. know, what I thought was home. And, and once I accepted it, you know, it just, things opened up in a different way. Yeah. 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 So I'm you sorry. have, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I was going to ask about your kids. So you have three kids. Yeah. I, uh, I was the perennial bachelor. I wandered around. Um, I didn't get married until I was 33. And I met a wonderful lady who uh, has been putting up with me the last uh, 17 years. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so uh, uh, got a wife, a six-year-old daughter and a mortgage all the same day. And uh, never looked back. Got three kids now. Uh, the oldest is 23 and off at school, coming home in a week, or just after Thanksgiving. And then uh, got a 13 and a 15-year-old, so... Yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I've still got two, two girls in the house. I have two girls who are 16 and 11. <laughs> so yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. yeah. But I remember uh, one of the, one of the captains I was flying with uh, years back was like, Oh, your daughter's like 11, 12, 13. It's like, uh, are you still her hero or is she ashamed to be seen with you? And I'm like, we're just about there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have worked, I say worked diligently. Both of my girls enjoy my company. I can go up to school and eat lunch with, well, I can't eat lunch now with them. Yeah. But in the past, I, I would go eat lunch with them and they both enjoyed it. And so I pursued that as much as I could because I wanted to make sure that they they kept that with them, yeah. that their father would come eat with them and they still enjoy that. And it's just a great value as a father to be able to go anywhere with your kids and and because uh, yeah. I wasn't that way. I loved my parents, but I would <laughs> never have wanted to eat lunch with them at that school. <laughs> yeah. 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 So how long have you been uh, a pilot now? Uh, so it was uh, 98. So I, back in high school, I took uh, Mr. Hamlin's uh, aviation course and uh, with Jim Lindgren and oh, there was a bunch of other people in there. Um, but uh but took that and passed, passed the pilot pilot written and I got a whole like 40 minutes of instruction from selling uh, ice cream at uh, snack break. Saved up money and went to that. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't start flying. I, I uh, bounced around schools, didn't graduate from college and uh, came back and worked a long period uh, like summer through the January for the Coast Guard. Saved up a bunch of money and then went down to Arizona in 98, started uh, flight school down there, was there for about a year and got my, a little bit over a year and got my flight instructor's ratings and top flying there, Harvey Field and Snohomish down in Bakersfield, taught for a while there. And I flew uh, small planes out of Boeing Field in Seattle Cargo into Oregon and Eastern Washington through 9-11. That was an exciting time to be a pilot. Hmm. And then, uh, 2003, I got on with SkyWest and was there for five years. 
on the turboprop for a year and a half, and then on the on the Canadair regional jet for three and a half years, and then in uh, 2012 I got on here at JetBlue. So been here for what is it now? 12 years? No, not 2012. I'm lying here. 2007. So it's coming up on 13 years. Yeah. It all starts to run together. <laughs> yeah. Were Were you flying on 9/11? Um, I. So we were flying cargo there, and I was doing that week. I was doing uh, a night run where I would fly, like late in the evening, get over to Spokane at like midnight-ish, and then two a.m. or so come back, and then I would spend a couple hours, you know, divvying up my load to go to the other pilots who were flying out and preparing their stuff, making sure their planes were ready for them. And so the guys had start to come had uh, started coming to the office. And they were pretty well sorted out. And so I got in my car to leave. And as I'm driving out of the um, parking lot there at Boeing Field, I heard on my radio that a plane had crashed into the Twin Towers. And I'm like, what? And so I went back inside. And, you know, we watched it on the TV as the second plane and all that. So it was, it was, it was a shocker. Yeah, that was a, that was a dramatic change to a lot of things in our country when that happened. Yeah. How long were you grounded? Uh, I am trying to remember. Um, it was like five or more days, five days to a week or so. So we we ended up doing like driving partway to some of the places where we delivered freight. Like we'd drive halfway down to Portland and meet somebody and drop off to them and come back. Or same thing over to like Spokane, over that direction, you know. And uh, we did that for, I want to say around a week. And then... You know, they got the, the uh, airliners going and then the cargo or the cargo and then the airliners. I don't know. Yeah, they took the cargo. I don't know. It's, it's all it's all blurry. But then for quite a while, it was, you know, Boeing Field is a busy airport with lots of private planes and instruction and all that. And, you know, to be the only guy taxiing out and taking off and, you know, the only guy on the radios you're flying out. It was just crazy. Hmm. Yeah. What uh, what do you enjoy most about being a pilot? Um, you know, it's, uh, I really enjoyed growing up, uh, you know, boating and biking, you know, did a lot of bicycling, getting around as a youth, um, you know, just being in control of the vehicle and boating and that sort of thing and navigating, you know, scouts. Um, and so it just sort of all wrapped that up together. Um, you know, just captain <laughs> just that you know in charge not not you know not, not like in charge but like you know capable and doing things and you know it gave me a sense of of self-worth so this is something i can do it and do it well you know yeah that's excellent have you had any uh nervous or scary moments when you were flying oh yeah yeah not not too frequently now um Back when I was teaching flying, <laughs> these could get exciting because, you know, as, a, as an instructor, you want to let somebody go pretty far down the path, but not so far down the path that you can't, you know, save yourself. So you want to let them try to correct their mistakes. And so learning how to judge where that point is and what your skill level is and leaving some safety margin. Um, was one time we were out flying in the practice area and the whole plane went dark because there was a shadow and this plane just sort of went right over the top of us and it was like <gasps> for a second until 
you know, the shadow went away. And so. Okay. So, yeah. You had any uh, interesting passenger experiences? Uh, I have had some cool passengers over the years. Um, oh, what was was it Michelle? One of the Olympic skaters, I think Michelle Quang? from like Long Beach to Salt Lake or the other way, I forget. And then I flew uh, Justice Sotomayor from uh, LaGuardia down to Florida. Um, had uh, Martha Stewart in the back once. So, you know, oh, that, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some more people in the airport, but but you know, actually on my plane, not as many. So, so yeah. Yeah. It's sort famous, of fun. Famous people have to go to the airport too, don't they? A lot, a lot of them do. Yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you do? What do you do when you're not flying? What do you love to do? Well, I have been not flying quite a bit lately because of this. Um, <laughs> so I do a lot of, uh, shuttling kids around um you know this uh, this i've been uh, since i upgraded to captain about five years ago i uh my ability to hold the weekends off as a captain holding a set schedule wasn't good so i've been bidding to be on call so i'm on call on weekdays which is much better than being you know scheduled to fly nights and weekends and so that gives me my sundays and the weekends with the family and, and also the the number of sick calls are just slightly less on weekdays for some reason. <laughs> so I haven't been flying a lot. Normally, I knew a normal pilot will fly, you know, six to 800 plus hours in a year. And I've been flying 300 this year, less than 100. So we need to get that fixed next year. But I get a, I get a you know, a set amount for being on call. But yeah, so working around the house, driving kids, uh, reading books. Lately... Uh, the last year or so, I got involved with the uh, food pantry here at the local Methodist church and uh, been uh, putting a lot of hours into that. Um, through my church, they, they asked our uh, our bishop, the, the head of our congregation, if he wanted to be on the board. And he was like, I've got a family and I'm doing this and you know, I don't have time. So to take Phil and they're like, but I went over and worked there for a while. And so uh, I've been doing... 12 or more hours a week over there helping with distribution and picking up food and, and uh, going to the board meetings and stuff. So it's been really, really rewarding. Okay. I enjoy uh, service. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I saw a couple of posts on your Facebook page about the, the food pantry there. Has the, has the need for that gone up this year? It has. It has. We've been seeing um, more people, um, we just had a board meeting the other night, but we, we were talking about uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, so we didn't go over the latest statistics. But I want to say it's up by 25% or a third, something like that. Um, but the nice thing is that people are also more minded, you know, more mindful, and there have been a lot more um, people donating food and money. And so we've been very lucky at our food pantry and that, you know, we are still able to provide. So, so even making investments for the future. So that's, that's been really good. 
good. I know that the food pantry's down here, and it hasn't hit us as hard. Abilene's kind of an anomaly here in Texas. We're out kind of by ourselves, but the demand has definitely gone up, you mm-hmm. know, this year since um, yeah. the lockdowns and everything. It opened up here in Texas quite a bit in the last few months, which was really nice, and a lot of people got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. But who knows what's going to happen from here forward? Yeah. Well, yeah. we're still waiting to see who the president is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we know, but this is all the fight, all the wrangling that's got to go on first. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. It's there's. Yeah. We kind of talk about it, but uh, it's it's it was quite a crazy election. It was definitely the most unusual one I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, lots of. Uh, Lots of divisiveness in the world today on, on that front and many others. So, yeah, I find it important in my life to, uh, to talk about those things, but to never, um, to never devalue someone because of what they believe or, or who they're supporting. Yeah. Because them as a human being is more important than who I think should be in office. (laughs) Yeah. 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 This is true. And and when you do that, in my experience, you, you make you can make real good connections with people. You can be friends with people who have completely different religion, completely different faith ideas, completely different political beliefs, and still yeah. they're your friend. And those those are good friends to have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've learned uh, I my wife's family is is uh fairly liberal leaning and I, I, you know, grew up a little bit more conservative up there in the, the you know, rough and tumble Alaskan wilderness. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did, we, the whole family took a, uh, like a political spectrum test to see where you fall. And uh, I was pretty much the rightmost in the family, but I was just a little bit left of center. <laughs> like, oh, so it was, it was fun to see. Yeah. Fun to see. And, you know, we, we have our differences, but we can have a, a, uh, a conversation without uh, without name calling. So that. that's in my experience, that's the best way to live. And there's just yeah. a lot of that chaos going around in this country right now with um, a lot of people that don't seem to have that understanding at all. You know, with the violence and the destruction that's taking place, and it just it it hurts my heart to see that because that's just not in my nature to to operate that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, learned way back on my, I served a, a mission in Southern California for my church. And, uh, and uh, you know, I learned early on that, you know, you can, you can have a discussion and have different points of view, or you can, you know, they call it Bible bashing, where you just go at each other and, you know, what about this? What about this? Instead of having, you know, trying to understand each other and, you know, find out that, you know, we're, we're talking about the same thing, but we use different terms. So we may have a small nuance that we don't agree on, but you know, we, we have a, you know, an agreement on so many things and, you know, and to get angry and, you know, thumping on things to, because uh, you think you're more right than they are, you know, doesn't, doesn't bring the love into the room. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I grew up that way. In, in, I was kind of part of a, you know, kind of a conservative church in a way. And there was just this underlying, I don't know, belief that 
we had it together. We had the answers. We knew what, mm-hmm. and nobody else really does. But we do. And we're right. We know what the Bible says. And when I started uh, meeting other people in other churches, like down here in, in Abilene, where I live, there's three Christian universities here in town. Mm. So there's a Church of Christ, there's a Baptist and a Methodist, three universities. So you yeah. have this great diversity of you know, Christian faiths and background. And when you start meeting people who are just full of joy and love, but they're, they're of a different church, you start questioning things. And this happened to me when I was in my young twenties going, okay, wait a minute. I, I feel like I'm half lost inside. Here's this person going to another church, you know, a different denomination. And yet, man, I want to be like them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the value to me of relationships and talking and, and sharing ideas and being able to look at your own ideas and examine them over and over again, because mm-hmm. what do I know? And what, what do I know? Really? You know, I have a little bit of experience in a few things, but man, the more experience I have, the more I realize the less I know. Yeah. Yeah. Comes with getting older. Yeah, the wisdom of getting older is a fantastic thing. You're in your mid-teens and you know everything. And <laughs> you gotta, you know, everything's going to be this way, and then life, life happens. I was uh, so, I was so ignorant as a teenager. I was clueless, man. I was just no, had no idea about life at all. Judgmental and ignorant, and yeah, starry-eyed too. <laughs> Oh, very starry-eyed. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about me, not you, but if you. Oh, I I don't mind if someone tells me I was starry-eyed back then. Oh, I. <laughs> yeah. oh, man. No, I just valued back then good friendships. I always considered you a good friend. I was kind of quiet and didn't talk a lot, mm-hmm. but you were always a good friend. And yeah. I really enjoyed running track with you and. Um, I don't know how many classes we were in together. I know we were in several. But. Yeah. yeah, I. Uh, so one of the one of the things I remember was uh, on that poor guy that was working at his house, and we put Tabasco in his drink. <laughs> we were running around in the woods behind your house, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the uh, <clears throat> highlights. <laughs> I don't know if he ever got you back, but. <laughs> uh. I was a little chaotic as growing up there and I was outside by myself a whole lot. So I had to yeah. find things for me to do. And if I could entertain myself by bugging the neighbors somehow, that was, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was an option. <laughs> I sort of got myself back for it tonight. I was making up some uh, breakfast potatoes and I grabbed the, I thought was um, small green peppers and they were large hot peppers. <laughs> and so I, I cut up like, three or four of those and stirred them with potatoes and filled them up. And I took one out to take a bite of it to see if it was, uh, see if it was, uh, you know, the potatoes were done or not. And suddenly my mouth was going numb. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> oh man. Were you, uh, were you part of the uh, dam building and uh, stick racing at uh, Houtling? And the stream out behind between oh, the playground. Oh, oh, all the time. Oh yeah. 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 That stream that ran right beside the playground was absolutely yeah. fascinating. And oh, yeah, yeah. we would go build dams 
come you back know. in from recess totally muddy and wet and teacher wouldn't even bat an eye. Oh, you know, it was okay when I wore boots to school, but you know, we frequently wore tennis shoes and we would still get out there and just build dams and you, you just got soaking wet. Yeah. That was Every one time. of my uh, greatest memories of, uh, of grade school was, you know, playing in that water and learning hydrodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. A number of years ago when they, you know, tore all that up and built a bunch of new stuff, I was, I felt like a piece of me was gone. Like the stream is gone from the playground. What are the kids going to do now? At I know. How are they going to have a real, you know, upbringing without the stream in the, <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Racing boats and things down that stream. That was a blast. Yeah. Go yeah. to the big dam and get a bunch of water and then break it free and just see whose boat got down the bottom first. Yeah. And man, recess back then was real too. You know, our, our playground equipment was all made of metal, <laughs> metal slides and wood chips, wood chips and a merry-go-round that weighed 300 pounds, you know, and, and once it got moving, you're, you better hope you don't get stuck underneath because <laughs> yeah. no, no one's going to help you till it stops. Yeah. Well, man. Those were the days. I remember several people getting hurt going down those slides, especially mm-hmm. when they were wet because you, you couldn't stop, man. You go so fast and it was nothing but concrete. I think one of the slides, I think it was concrete at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. I actually got knocked out on the playground there. I walked in front of the swings and got kicked in the head and then tipped over and hit my head on the pavement. Woke up in the nurse's office. Oh man. So yeah. Good times. <laughs> I can yeah, the, blame I can blame some of my uh, you know erratic behavior on that. <laughs> <laughs> the nurse was busy. She she was busy because of recess. Yeah. Because yeah. we could do anything. When I was in third grade, we we started playing tackle football under the A-frame, this huge A-frame there, which was on the concrete. And I don't know how long we did that, but the, <laughs> the nurse, Mrs. Thomas, she made us quit. Oh, because, yeah, Mrs. Thomas. Yeah. Mrs. Thomas, Diana Thomas. Yeah. Because somebody was coming in every day to get bandaged up. And so she put a kibosh on our, on our tackle football <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was. And so- then uh, the other memory was uh, touch football, uh, nerf football. And I'm in nerf sometimes out uh, at Schoenbarth. That was a lot of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Junior high. I have, I have vague memories of junior high. I didn't like junior high. Junior high was one that, that time in my life that I went from being a fairly open person to closing up in a shell. It was, uh-huh. yeah, it was not good for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, my family, my dad got a job on the Naval base in Bermuda. And so was it the, eighth grade seventh yeah see this is how bad the memory gets i forget which year it was but one of those two years i went to uh, bermuda and uh, so came back so i sort of you know fell out of the friendships and had to come back and re-get back into them and i'm gonna say it was eighth grade year yeah so yeah because i missed the eighth grade the seventh grade camp out because we were gone that summer and i missed the eighth grade survival trip so i missed all of that so okay so yeah. So yeah, yeah, I had a little trouble getting back into the, the social side of things and, you know, being from the, uh, 
I mean, you've had, I just saw earlier today that you had Kate on and, and I'm like, oh, it's the North End sort of quiet people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny because I, I wanted uh, Kate who lived right near us and uh, you, I, it didn't, I don't know why it worked out that way. I just started reaching out to a few people that I knew. Yeah. That they I were in that North End bus. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that rode the bus. Yeah, I rode the bus for for twelve years from kindergarten through my junior year, fourteen yeah. miles into town and back every day. I got a lot of reading done on that bus, just tore through novels. Yeah, yeah, it's hard for me because I have to try to explain, especially to my my sixteen year old daughter, when she wants to go somewhere and be somewhere and do this right now, of how slow things operate in Ketchikan. Because you just kind of have to meander every time you go into town and back because yeah. you can't, there's one two lane road all the way there and you, you have to just go with the traffic. And especially now there's almost always traffic. And you get stuck behind the school bus and game over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you would plan your, plan your trip. I went up there in August this year and I would make sure if I was going somewhere not to go when school was getting out, you know, because I didn't want to be yeah. stuck behind the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. yeah, I haven't got, I used to get back uh, like three or maybe four times a year to go up and see my mom and do the honeydew list and, uh, you know, the kids getting older and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot less, but yeah. Does your mom still live there? Yeah, she, what was it? Um, about almost two years ago now i went up and helped her uh she sold the house to some friends uh one of the families that had gone to church with us and he'd done like half of his coast guard service in ketchikan by rotating between the stations there in town and, and so uh, they bought the place and she's up in pioneer heights now up above uh up above uh the caboose okay so yeah it's nice actually my uh my grandmother was in the Pioneer home and she uh, cut the ribbon on that place. And so now my mom's living up there. So, so yeah. Nice. We're, we're exploring the possibility of putting my mom in there now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is she still in Ketchikan? Yeah. She's still there. Both my sisters are still there. Okay. And I'm 3000 miles away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the honey do list, uh, it's harder to, harder to help with. <laughs> yeah that's that's why i went up there I, I spent about four days just working on the house mm -hmm. cleaning stuff up my dad passed away what five and a half years ago and there's okay. still stuff in the garage that he had that hasn't been mm -hmm. taken care of yet so i really worked to try to take care of stuff and clean up and fix up some yeah. things on the house that needed to be worked on and just visit with her yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my dad passed in 95, so I've been sort of doing the same thing, going up and doing work around the house. There's a, she's got a, a core of some good guys up there that will come and help, too, and she's, you know, was in need. So, so yeah. One of the things that was cool about our house was we had a wooden water tank made out of redwood mm. that had been there. Uh, the man who built the house built I, I don't know if he built it. Maybe he ordered the, the wood cut and I, I don't know, but it was a wooden water tank and it was uh -huh. one of the, one of the few left up there and it was still there up until uh, this year. 
<laughs> it, it finally gave in this year after what 60 years 50 something years for certain this wooden water tank yeah. and and uh and it was still solid it had just yeah. shifted and leaked it it's it, it, it didn't rot at all the wood was completely solid after 50 something years and yeah. but it shifted where it was sitting and all the water ran out <laughs> yeah. so i had to get a plastic one but i always loved that old wooden water tank it was one of the yeah. last ones i think on the island Mm-hmm. So, what about life itself? What do you value deeply about about life? You know, I was uh, I was listening to your uh, interview with Clint, and uh, you know, he talked about relationships. Um, talked about well, he didn't. He he mentioned how you know relationships are vital. It's what you take with you. There's no U-Haul, you know relationships and you know, who you are, your character, and what you know, you know, um, I, uh, I was, I just earlier today, I saw that you talked to Kate, and so I, I didn't have a chance to get all the way through it, but I was listening to her too, and you know, I think many of us struggle with, you know, feelings of, of worth and, and, you know, fitting in, and in my life, the thing that's really made a difference was service. Um, it really helped me connect with people and it helped me feel good about myself. Um, and, you know, uh, it was a couple of days ago, I just kind of bare snippet on NPR as I was, you know, my wife turns it in and I, I listen to classic rock, but, <laughs> but anyway, I, I kind of bare snippet of this guy. He was talking about, uh, what was it? it was like embracing your dysfunction or you know <laughs> your no it wasn't the word you used there was some more proper term to use but you know you're and uh you know realizing that you've got these issues and you know i really like to help people and i have to make sure i set limits on myself that you know i've got a family i've got a job i've got responsibilities with the church and different things but but you know that avenue has really given me a lot of purpose and, and joy in my life to, you know, serving whether it's, you know, one person one off or, or at the food pantry where it's, you know, a couple, three days a week. So. I found in my life, especially looking backward, it's so it's a lot easier to see that some of the things I struggled with, um, how I, was able to get past that was by doing something about it, usually with people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I made a short video about it earlier this week. I struggled with social anxiety my, my entire life. Mm -hmm. It would make me physically sick. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know anything was wrong. Yeah. I just knew that in social situations, sometimes it was just this really awful thing would happen and I would get sick and sometimes I couldn't drive. And yeah. I found that if I took the, if I was in a social situation, if I took the initiative and started talking to people, especially people who were, you know, not involved or off on the side, that it, it just kind of went away. But if I stepped back and just stayed in that little cage, that nothing would happen. It would just get worse. Mm -hmm. But doing something about it, and I, I related that to you doing service, that anytime you're feeling bad about yourself or down about yourself, if you'll do something good for someone else and it just changes your whole outlook on you. Yeah. Well, and a lot of, um, you know, I don't, I'm not, not to project on you, but a lot of times when I'm down, it's because I'm focusing on me. And if you 
you know, get past yourself, you know, lose your life in the service of others, you know, you can, you can find a lot of joy and connection and I mean, the times that, that I've been the most satisfied are the times when I'm, uh, you know, working the hardest for, not generally for myself, you know, for my kids, for my family, for friends. And, you know, uh, we had uh, some years back, I was fairly new in New Jersey. We had Hurricane Sandy come through and uh, for, I don't know, a month and a half, the church services were, let's come in, have a prayer and go out and spend all day tearing up people's basements and, and you know, uh, helping them out, helping them out with their houses. And that was, I mean, it was terrible for them, but for us, it was wonderful to actually get out there and, you know, and to do that. So. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing down. So I guess hurricanes probably don't reach up there too often, do they? Uh, we've had a couple good ones come through. You know, Sandy was obviously the worst. We've had a couple more came, come through that had done some some minor damage. So, yeah, we've been here, I say, 12 years now or so. So we've had uh, a really bad one, a uh, moderately bad one, and then some, you know, some smaller ones that have either come on shore earlier or, you know, been, been tropical storms or whatever. So, so, yeah, not too many. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I remember growing up in Ketchikan that we'd always have those fall storms and oh, yeah. inevitably the lights would go out. You know, the lights going out was a common thing. You just accepted it when the lights went out. Cause that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. We used to joke. We had a, we had a natural gas stove and, you know, one of those tall bottles outside the, the front door and uh, the power would go out on Thanksgiving routinely and everybody would come over with their half cooked food and, We'd have a nice big Thanksgiving get together because <laughs> we had the oven that still worked. So, yeah. yeah, we had it. We had an oil stove and an oil heater that you had the light like in the morning with a, a piece of paper towel, you know, the stove <laughs> and, and, and the heater and this big oil tank next to the house. Well, my dad had hooked up this 55 gallon drum right next to the house as a backup plan. So whenever the electricity went out, at least we had heat and we could cook something in the oven. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that was a brilliant yeah. plan he did. Yeah, yeah. Little kerosene lamps and flashlights and wood stove. Yes, flashlights that you, you had to budget flashlights back then because the batteries would run out so fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, back when I started flying, you know, you're supposed to carry a, a D-cell batteries, you know, a D-cell flashlight with you to do walk-arounds and, you know, pre-flight inspections and, and in case the lights went out. And now it's something comparable because, you know, I've got this little tiny mag light that's rechargeable to go for 20 or 30 hours, you know. Yeah, and they're lighter. Those LEDs last forever. Blind somebody with it. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, they're amazing what some of those will do yeah. now. Yeah, it's such a such a unique thing you know i know i know here in the culture we live in now if electricity goes out you know you you panic <laughs> i i don't panic but people are like, what am i gonna do the internet's off <laughs> yeah yeah take a nap <laughs> yeah you, you ever heard of heard of a book <laughs> yeah so uh when sandy happened we were 
uh, we're sitting up here and, you know, we had the power been out for a while and we're like, well, you know, your my wife's parents lived uh, just north of Baltimore. We're like, you know, in two hours, we could be at their house and we'd have electricity and hot water and lights, and, you know. And uh, Sam, who was pretty young at that age, uh, I don't know, he was five or eight, I forget what it was, but uh, but he was, uh, no, we can't go. It's like, why? Because I want to play games on, with the with the lamp on the table. I'm like, all right, we'll play some board games and at bedtime we'll leave. Okay. <laughs> he was having fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I still have a kerosene lamp that my grandmother had. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I keep it. I keep it because of that memory of growing up of my dad having to light that so often every year in the fall that I like yeah. to see it sitting there because it's the same kind of lamp. I love those things. Trimming the wick and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Having a backup wick, you know, and some backup fuel. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite. Making sure your uh, your cruise wasn't half full. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, those were good times. Man, I just we we had a great childhood. That's an ideal place for a kid to grow up. Yeah. You know, running around with sticks, pretending you're Sir Lancelot or the Army soldier, or you know, in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that. And for people who don't know and don't live up there, there's a plant called skunk cabbage (laughs) and (laughs) it grows every spring. It grows pretty big. It grows in the woods. Any place there's, there's moisture, it's going to grow in the ditches. And I would go out and like fight the skunk cabbage, you know, I'd have my sword and it always made my mom a little upset because it smells like, it smells like a skunk. It's not as yeah. it's yeah. not as loud as a skunk smell. You know, it's not as bad, but it still has a, a smell similar to a skunk. And if you chop up enough of them in the woods next to your house, <laughs> you can smell the, it. The spray gets on. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I have never done violence to a skunk cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Same same. Practice your uh, your chops and your stabs. And, yeah. Yeah. And they still managed to survive. We didn't, you know, exterminate the, the species. Not even close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I appreciate them, you know, going up yeah. and seeing seeing them this summer. And like, oh, skunk cabbage. <laughs> Look at the beautiful muskeg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Moss on the trees. and Yeah. I definitely see everything so much differently and I appreciate it much deeper than I ever did growing up there mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But I think that's the value of life is the older you get, you, you gain that wisdom and you learn what's truly a value and you see mm-hmm. things of value much differently than you did when you were younger. Yeah. Well, we hope so anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. That's why I value friendship so much more than I ever did back then. My friend, friends to me, man, they're, they're like essential yeah. now. And, yeah. and, and I tell people, I say, you know what, when for me to have a friend is completely my choice. Cause if I choose you as a friend, you have no say in the matter. <laughs> it's my choice completely. <laughs> if you don't like it, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to call you my friend. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, Debbie has a, a sign up at school. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> right. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I am Debbie's your cousin and I, I'm, I have asked her to come on my podcast. She's gone silent on me. <laughs> so I'm working on her like, no, I'm going to keep working on you until you come on and we have yeah. a good conversation. She'd have a lot of stories to tell. I don't know if she can tell some of them. <laughs> I asked, I asked one person in the class, I won't tell you who it is, but they have, they have a, they have an interesting past. And he replied and said, no, he said, I'm going to decline. I don't want to air my dirty laundry in public. <laughs> and I said, this, yeah. my podcast is not about airing dirty laundry. It's about you talking about what you value in life. You know, I'm not going to try to bring out all the ugly stuff that we remember in high school. That's not my that one time when you, <laughs> yeah, let me ask you about that time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of my, oh, another favorite memory. It was, uh, this is Bob, a lovely woman, lovely woman. We're there in ninth grade English and given a, uh, somebody was doing a vocab test and she said the word three times and what, what? And finally she said, can you, and somebody asked, can you spell that for me? I can't, I can't understand what you're saying. And so she started to spell it. And finally she went, oh, you, and figured out that he couldn't spell it. He was, <laughs> oh, it was, you know, it was dirty, but it was so funny. Oh, she was a lovely woman. Yeah. Oh. When you were a freshman, they were re they remodeled the school and they had some of the classes in the auditorium. Did you ever have a class in the auditorium? I did not. So I don't well no, oh, you know what? Maybe I did have history there. You Maybe. would remember because Yes, yes, I think I did have history. You're either sitting in the chairs in this auditorium or our I had geography and our class was in the pit. Right oh, in front nice. in front of the stage where the band goes. Yeah. And yeah. it was dark. It was we didn't have the teacher wasn't a real aware teacher. <laughs> and so it was it was chaotic some of the time, but that was the most interesting event having a class down there <laughs> in the auditorium. Yeah. And yeah. I mean people got kicked out of that class frequently for doing stuff and it was it was uh yeah. but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, back in the day. Yeah. Well, Philip, man, I we've had some great memories growing up together up there. And I am just really thankful to connect with you again after all these years and, and catch up and see what you're doing and where you're living and talk about your family and your experiences of, of being a pilot. It's been a ride. It's been a ride. Hopefully I'll keep being one uh, here next year. I'll tell the tale whether we have a the aviation industry or not i hope so i hope stuff opens up more because it yeah. needs to it, if it closes down more it's going to be yeah a catastrophe for our economy and it's already happening yeah. in others around the world yeah but yeah i'm working at the food bank thinking oh, i hope i don't need this next year <laughs> we won't we you know we've got I've, I've been prudent in my savings and stuff but but yeah it's you know thinking about uh, all right do i need to get it i i uh, finally in it was 2013. I finally got educated, got my bachelor's degree, but it's in professional aeronautics, which if the aviation industry goes down, it's not very useful. So I'm thinking, you know, do I need to get a degree in something else or get a backup plan? <laughs> I'm thinking back to one of the, one of the favorite memes or jokes when, when airline pilots are going through tough times, is that uh, Top Gun quote, what was the name of that truck driving school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the yeah. backup plan you want, but yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about, okay, the possibilities of this, what could I do? Yeah. Yeah, I went through that. See, I've been laid off. I got laid off from my job uh, two and a half months ago. And man, I just sat down and started writing out everything I could possibly do in life, including mm-hmm. including what I wanted to do. What, what if I could do what I wanted to do, what was enjoyable to me? And for some reason, this idea of doing a podcast came up. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that one of the things I was going to pursue during this time where I was not working full time was working on a podcast. So that's where this came from. Yeah, cool. And so I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the connections. I've enjoyed connecting with people all around the world and uh, definitely with connecting with people that I went to school with years ago. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I've been doing that work at the pantry. That's been great. I've done, you know, work in the backyard, but I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, there's, I'm sure there's more things that I should have done. You know, I, I bought myself a, a little travel guitar years ago and it's been sitting in a closet gathering dust. And I'm like, you know, I could have, I could be playing guitar by now. I could be, you know, there's all sorts of things I could have, use this downtime to do that I haven't, um, you know, furthering time away on YouTube or some other exciting location, but yeah, yeah. reading another sci-fi novel. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I have downsized my life in the last uh, couple of years and I got rid of almost all my hobbies and stuff I didn't need. And I don't even have a television where I live now. Mm-hmm. Cause I just, I don't need it anymore. I wouldn't watch it. I'm so interested in other things in life that I decided I don't even want a TV. I have the yeah. internet. If I want to look something up or even watch something, yeah. it's there, you know, and I even canceled Netflix. Cause I thought I don't need to watch any of this. I've got YouTube and I can make my own videos and <laughs> <laughs> produce yeah. something. Somebody else needs to watch like this. There you go. There you go. <laughs> More content. Yeah. Make your life interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely more interesting than it's ever been before. And um, who knows what's coming. I just love exploring the possibilities. Life's about change and adapting to it. Yeah, I agree. Well, Philip, I'm so thankful you came on today to have a good conversation and uh, share your story with everyone. So we'll be, uh, we'll connect again in the future and have another conversation. All right, it's been good to talk to you and catch yeah. up. All right, blessings to you. All right, see. Bye-bye. Bye.